Uh, Let us continue with the hearing of God's word with our Old Testament lesson. We'll be hearing from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and shouting. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance, with terrible recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be opened. Then the lame shall leap like deer, and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the holy way. The unclean shall not travel on it but it shall be for God's people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This too is the word of God for the people of God. I think it's safe to say that we love a good travel story. We love to see folks embarking on an unexpected, challenging, and or fulfilling journey. Stories of road trips and paths not taken uh, and trails to new places, they engage us deeply. Hollywood thrives on them. I mean, think about the movies and the books that stick with us. Frodo Baggins offering to take the One Ring to Mordor even though he doesn't know the way, or Into the Wild, Eat, Pray, Love, and Wild, all stories of someone leaving home in search of truth and change and self-actualization. And beyond the media and the stories that we consume, I'm sure many, if not all of us, have some road trip, travel, journey story that is an integral part of who we are, a story that we just love to tell. I could recount uh, how the hours at a table on a coach bus in Austria full of stories and deeply uncontrollable laughter brought Sandra Ward, Mardi Reitmeyer, and Julie Green and I closer together. Um, I could tell you about how on a road trip I got lost in rural Vermont without a cell signal, and while I was panicking, imagining best-case scenario sleeping in my car, Um, My best friend was pulling out paper maps that I didn't know she had packed. She laid them on the hood of the car and traced the route with her finger from our location to our hotel in New York. She got it so right, in fact, that once we were in cell range, we kept them off because we didn't need them. Or I could tell you about my final year at summer camp when 12 high schoolers went on a week-long canoe trip. But first, we went on a 10-hour road trip to the lake because the camp director knew that the best way to form a a cohesive, well-bonded group was to trap them in a van for 10 hours. 
And he was right, because we know that journeys change us. They reveal something about who we are and the world around us. I just read a really lovely news story about a group of strangers who road tripped together from Orlando to Knoxville after their flight got canceled. Some needed to be at a work conference, some were traveling for a tour of the college of their dreams, some just wanted to be home. So 13 people of different ages, different races, different backgrounds, who likely never would have met, came together, rented a 15-passenger van, and drove 10 hours through the night to make it to their destination. They chronicled their journey on TikTok, and it unsurprisingly went viral. Um, It's not surprising because not only do people love road trip stories, but it it also reminds us um, that we needn't face challenges alone, that in an increasingly divided world, choosing to walk alongside others is almost a defiant act and that although the world is often dark and broken, hope is not crazy. And that is something that I often need to be reminded. These last weeks, we've been making our annual Advent journey. We have been walking together toward Bethlehem, toward the birth of Jesus, and toward the inbreaking of God. It is something that we do every year. We spend four weeks waiting and hoping feeling the anticipation of the hope and the peace and the joy and the love. And then Jesus is born, and we celebrate. And then some 330-plus days later, we get to wait again. What changes for us after Jesus is born? After we finally arrive at our destination, what have we gained? And why do we have to do it again next year? We say that Advent is about waiting for Jesus, and a week from today we'll get him in the manger, but the peaceable kingdom still hasn't arrived. We are, in truth, still waiting, and unless something gets real apocalyptic in the next six days, we will still be waiting on the 25th, even as we celebrate the birth of Christ. So is our Advent journey, is our walk toward the manger just an endless hamster wheel? I don't mean to be cynical or hopeless. I mean, I do. I am doing this on purpose, as it were. Um, But I think we have to ask ourselves why and to what end do we do things, particularly with things we do every year. So where are we going and why? And what are we hoping to find at the end? Our Isaiah text for this morning offers us yet another avenue on the Advent journey we open on a surprising and joyful image of life in a desert. Not just life, but a land that is rejoicing as it blooms. It is singing a song of praise as crocuses bloom in an unexpected place. Isaiah paints for us, as many Advent texts do, an image of a grand divine reversal. It speaks of a place where the blind are made to see, where dry sand bubbles with spring water, and where the desert becomes a lush, swamp. It is, at its core, a story of new life, which is an integral part of our Advent journey every year, that God is in the business of turning the world on its head, as Pastor Amanda said. It reminds us that God's ways are not our ways, and that God is working to set creation right. For the people of Israel, the original recipients of Isaiah's words, it was about movement to a literal destination— After being conquered, driven away from their homeland, 
and kept away from the temple, the literal dwelling place of God, they are desperate for a return. For those in exile, the lush, blooming desert is Jerusalem. Their relationship with God is tied to a place, a place they have been promised to return to. For us, Isaiah's prophetic prophetic vision describes the world that we are hoping and waiting for, for the world to be turned on its head at peace, a place that is in line with God's kingdom. So that's the where we are going. And just how are we getting there exactly? How do we get to this place of thriving deserts and rejoicing? Perhaps we find it, uh, find the answer in the highway that Isaiah describes. A highway will be there, the prophet writes. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on the way. It envisions a path that is safe, without threat of animal attack, where where those who travel on it are safe and together. It is for the righteous. It leads to Zion with gladness and everlasting joy. Now, I don't think God's highway, as described in Isaiah, is just about or even primarily about physical travel. I don't think Isaiah is offering cardinal directions or serving as a biblical version of ways to get us from point A to point B. The prophets, remember, were constantly working to turn people back to God. In Hebrew, the word used for highway and way in Isaiah, it doesn't just mean a literal road or a path. It can be translated as journey or direction or manner. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uses the word hadas. Now, hadas is the word that the first believers in Jesus used to identify themselves. They weren't called Christians, but rather followers of the way, followers of the hadas. So in a very real way, God's highway isn't just about a road to travel on toward a particular destination, but rather it's about an orientation. It is about setting an intention and journeying toward it. The way of holiness, I would argue, is about setting our metaphorical feet toward God and the way that God does things. And we have already seen, thanks to Isaiah and to our Advent journey thus far, what God's way looks like. We know that God is in the business of restoration, of turning the world upside down in favor of a peaceable, equitable kingdom where all are safe and welcome. We are reminded both by Isaiah um, and by Advent that the world as it is, is not right, and that it is God's desire to set it right. The words of Isaiah 35, the song on the highway that leads to gladness and rejoicing, reminds us that things don't have to be the way that they are. That, I think, is what the Advent journey is about. It is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus, why we walk to the manger, and it is why we still wait. The world is still not right, and it still doesn't have to be this way. We also know that Advent, this journey, this walk towards the manger, isn't about a passive waiting Setting forth on God's highway requires movement. Aligning ourselves with God's way demands action. Author Diana Butler Bass engages Isaiah's words this way. She writes, Advent waiting isn't really about waiting. In Isaiah, it is about seeing God's vision, trusting God's promise, and acting on its reality. 
the prophets insist that we practice the kingdom's justice in our own time. And that prophetic insistence extends from Isaiah through the mother of Jesus. In many ways, the Magnificat is Isaiah's uh, same song made anew for Mary's time. Mary's song echoes the reversals we see in Isaiah, and it is still something we hear every year. The Mighty One has done great things. He has scattered the proud. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. God is in the business of turning the world on its head. Mary reminds us again that we don't have to live this way. She calls us to action that is firmly planted in and on God's way. Both Isaiah and Mary have a vivid sense that God's coming, or the coming Messiah, will be profoundly transformative. The Bible is relentless in its conviction that nothing that is skewed and distorted and deathly need remain as it is. God's power and God's passion converge to make total newness possible. The promises of messianic possibility work against our exhaustion, our despair, and our sense of being subject to fate. So I have to wonder, as we stand on the fourth Sunday of Advent, so near to Christmas that we can almost taste it, what comes next for us, for the ones who will still be waiting? I think we have to ask ourselves, where are Mary and Isaiah's songs still being sung? Where are the broken places, the ones that are not right? And what is being done to live into the divine reversal that we believe in and are waiting for? We make this journey year after year, so how will we continue to set our feet to God's way even after Jesus is in the manger? As many of you know, Morningside hosted a booth at the Atlanta Pride Festival in October. When Pastor Amanda and I first started hatching the plan to be a presence at Pride, Our one great hope was that folks would know that they were loved by God. It didn't even matter really to us that they knew about Morningside specifically, just simply that who they were created to be was good and they were loved, full stop. I do not need to outline the ways and the reasons that the LGBTQ community has heard the opposite message from the church for centuries. We know that that is a true thing that has happened. It's something that has always been. So I suppose another way to frame the intention of our booth was to show folks that things don't have to be and shouldn't be the way it has always been. At our booth, we had the opportunity to meet a ton of people and hear their stories. We heard uh, stories of pain, of hurt that had been done, of exclusion and shame. And there were also moments of incredible beauty and joy and hope. Dozens of interactions stand out to me, but I've been thinking about this one particularly this week. Uh, We met a couple with their two young children. Both women had a history with the church. They had grown up in the church, but it had not remained a safe or a welcoming place for them. All I could do was apologize and tell them how much I wished that hadn't been the case and share that our community is seeking to be as open and affirming and as loving as we believe God to be. And one of them smiled and said, you know, it really is a shame that churches have to do this at all. You shouldn't have to be here. And that struck me as so painfully true. 
No, I told her. If we were all following God, it would be completely redundant for us to be here to let folks know that God loved them. And I looked at her and her spouse and then at their kids and added, but I won't abide the alternative. And for as long as the other voices insist on lies and hate, we will keep coming to this booth and we will keep trying our best. We will keep insisting on God's love until we don't have to anymore. Why do we keep walking on this Advent path? Why do we still listen to Mary's song? Why do we keep seeking the way of God? Because we cannot abide the alternative. Because there are people who need to know the hope and peace and joy and love of their Creator. Because there is deep hurt and pain and injustice in the world. And because we can do something about it. We can take up Mary's song. We can set our feet to God's highway. We can say with our words and with our actions that the world does not have to be this way. That, my friends, is the beautiful truth of God breaking into our world in the baby Jesus. And it is why we will take this journey every year, naming the harm that howls through this world and daring to hope and follow the way of God. Amen.